0: Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing the Hamilton Tiger Cats suddenly becoming the front runner for the final postseason spot in the CFL via the East Division.
1: Vernon Adams Jr. secretly restructuring his contract.
2: Kogi Fajardo taking a vet day at Rogers
0: practice. The Argos TV ratings while going head-to-head against the Blue Jays.
1: And former CFL MOP Chad Owens appearing in a Hollywood movie. But first,
0: veteran QB Zach has agreed to a three-year contract extension with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, tying him to the team through the 2025 season. His new deal will pay him six hundred thousand per year, an increase from the five hundred fifty thousand he is currently making in 2022, and it includes two hundred fifty thousand in guaranteed money in the final season. All of these numbers. Obtained exclusively by 3downnation.com. Does this move make sense for Kolaris and the Bombers?
1: I absolutely think it does, uh, Mr. Dunk. I think that this is a home run for Zach Kolaris. We'll start with him first. He talked to the media yesterday. I was there at IG Field in the press room. And he talked about how this is a great fit for him personally Uh, I think the the success that he's achieved on the field in Winnipeg, you know, doesn't need to be reiterated. Everybody knows, you know, 13 and 31 and four as a starter in Winnipeg, one MOP is probably going to win the MOP again this year, Um, even though JC's wrong and thinks that Nathan Rook should be the MOP. Um, (laughs) But he talked about how essentially his whole adult life he's he's lived what he he called I'm paraphrasing of course but this crazy life of travel where he's been here and there and back and forth obviously he started his career in toronto went to the hammer went to regina went back to the argos briefly then landed finally in winnipeg uh, he's moved around and he's not the same person that he was when he first broke into the cfl he's now married to his wife nicole they live in aurora ontario about an hour north of toronto Uh, She's originally from Toronto. They do spend the entire CFL season in Winnipeg with their now two children, both of whom are under the age of three, Uh, but they do go back home for the off-season to Ontario. He said... That there is a possibility the family could move to Winnipeg full time now, but to have the three year security of that contract is huge. And let's not forget, boys, that this is also tying into the CBA clause we've discussed previously on the podcast that allowed Taylor Cornelius and Jake Mayer to get guaranteed money on their contracts with Edmondson and Calgary, respectively. Zach Kolaris is guaranteed $250,000 in 2025. So it's not like he signed a three-year deal, but could get cut after 2023 and get nothing if he underperforms. He is going to be the quarterback of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for those three seasons. And if he's not, he's going to get a heck of a payday, a check in the mail with that signature from Kyle Walters and Wade Miller to keep that family secure for the Bombers. How does this not make sense? You won two great cups back to back you could win a third in the coming weeks.
2: Yeah. From the Caleros perspective, I know there's going to be some people that say, well, why don't you test free agency? You're clearly the second best player in the league right now. John Hodge, Zach Caleros (laughs) is right. You're clearly the second best player in the league. You're going to be a hot commodity. Maybe you can test the market and get more money up front. You can get a bigger contract than this 600,000. But that doesn't make a lot of sense from Kolaros' perspective. He's making very, very good money. He's got long-term security here. And that guarantee on the back end, I think, is the key part to this because he couldn't get that with any other team, right? That $250,000 in the final year of his contract, that's only legal in the CBA if you stay with your existing team by locking himself down in Winnipeg at a number which I think, well, being – the highest pay in the league is also still in that sort of reasonable realm. It's not what we saw Mike, Mike Riley make a couple years ago with the BC lions and absolutely bankrupt that team in terms of their talent level. The Winnipeg blue bombers are still going to be very competitive at this cap number for Zach Kalaros. And he gets the long-term security in terms of that guarantee I see absolutely no way in which Zach Kalaros lost this deal, and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are sitting priggy with it as well.
0: Definitely makes sense for all sides. The Bombers keep their franchise quarterback for a reasonable rate. The salary does go up 50000 but the salary's cap overall is going to increase a little bit over the years of this deal as well. And if you're Caleros, you don't want to go somewhere else and have to learn a new offense, be it Paul Apelisse or Buck Pierce, and Pierce having gone to the school of offense from La Police, it's very similar, and Claris is comfortable there, plus with his main targets and the offensive line. The Blue Bombers have shown over his time there, and for quite a while now, that they know how to build an offensive line and develop those guys as well from the front office with GM Kyle Walters and assistant general managers, Teddy Gavea and Danny McManus, those guys bringing in talent and the coaching staff, obviously Michael Shea is the head coach, but the rest of the guys on the offensive staff developing that offensive line and having them play at a high level is critical. And if you're Kolaris, you're looking around the league saying this still – is by far the best offensive line in the league, even if Stanley Bryant is getting close to the end of his career. You can see how this unit has been able to retool. If it's lost a player here or there, Drew Desjardins would be the latest. He's still going through some things in terms of the NFL. Who knows? Maybe he'll return to Winnipeg. But it shows that the Bombers can not fill in a hole, because I don't really like that term, but they can come up with another stout offensive lineman, to go into that lineup if need be. So it makes a lot of sense all the way around. And Claris has got to be looking at the opportunity to not only win three great cups, but even more in the length of this contract. And then now he can start not necessarily recruiting guys, but talking to other players on the team and getting them to stay in Winnipeg and keep this run going. 3downnation.com is also reporting that Willie Jefferson has a contract offer on the table from the Blue Bombers. So that would probably be the next biggest piece to fall. Haji would be better to analyze that. But it shows the rest of the team that Kolaris is committed here for three years. And if guys want to continue winning, and and 31-4 with two great cups is a lot of winning over the last couple of seasons for Winnipeg, then it's probably an ideal spot for them to stay.
1: Well, and let's also talk about the fact that Kyle Walters said to the media yesterday that there are other players who have even agreed to contracts. Uh, They will not be announced until after the Great Cup or maybe finalized until after the Great Cup. But it sounds like they have agreements in place and these deals will include guaranteed money down the line. And this is something that I think obviously fans of Winnipeg should be excited about. But fans around the CFL, Walters talked about this as well and asked, you know, this, this guaranteed money will make the cap a little bit tougher to manage. Yes, the salary cap is going up in 2023, but the league's minimum salary is going up from 65000 to $70,000, and that means all the guys at the bottom of your roster are getting $5,000 raises. That's going to chew up a lot of that new money that is being introduced. That being said, you know, JC highlighted it. You're only allowed to sign a contract that includes guaranteed money in future years if you're going back to your original team. And so I think this offseason, we're going to see an unprecedented number of long-term contracts signed, but not necessarily when free agency hits in February. I think we're going to see it in December and January as teams are bringing back their star players. And if there's one message, boys, that we've heard since the, the, the Pandora's box of free agency got open in 2014 as part of that CBA negotiations when one-year contracts were introduced for veteran players, it's that fans were sick and tired of seeing all of their stars and all of their favorite players go to free agency every single year. Obviously CFL owners had to get off of their wallets for the first time in a long time. Probably had some mothballs pop up out of those out of their wallets when they when they busted them open for the first time in a while, but this is a great investment for CFL owners into the league to guarantee these players some cash because the players for years said, "We'd love to sign long-term contracts." We just need some security. And guess what? They're putting their money where their mouth is. The players are proving that they were being honest when they said that. And that's been evidenced by the long-term contracts we're seeing players sign now.
2: It's certainly going to be a fascinating storyline to watch as we go through these next two, three, four years as some of these deals come to fruition. Especially with these older players who, while extremely talented, are closer to the end of their careers than the start of it. We're going to start to see this dead money creep into the CFL conversation when we're discussing, okay, which team is up against the cap? Who can spend what? Where? That's going to play a factor if some of these guys sort of age out of their relevancy and they still have you know, guaranteed money waiting for them in another year of their contract. That could start to be a problem for some of these franchises. But I'm going to disagree with you, Dunk, here. On one tiny point, you say Willie Jefferson is the next big domino. Well, he may fall next, but the next biggest domino after Zach Kalaros does not have a contract in place right now, and that's head coach Mike O'Shea. A lot of people don't realize this, but Mike O'Shea is in the last year of his deal. He has not signed an extension yet, and right now, you have to think the Winnipeg Blue Mommers are going to be doing some some negotiating towards the end of the season. I don't think Mike O'Shea is the type of guy to do it in season because he's entirely focused on the games at hand. But once we get past that Grey Cup, that's going to be the focus. Is because the, can the Winnipeg Blue Bombers re-sign their fantastic head coach? You have to think that Zach Caleros wouldn't have signed this deal unless he had some indication that O'Shea was staying in Winnipeg. But at the same time, you don't enter the last year of your deal as a head coach, especially when as successful as Mike O'Shea is, without a reason. And that reason is to be able to have all options in front of you when it's all said and done. Right now, Mike O'Shea has that, and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to be in a scramble to get him back under contract.
0: It was very interesting to hear Kyle Walters say that he doesn't know about the status of Mike O'Shea and he doesn't want to speculate on what others may be thinking. It almost makes you wonder how much communication is going on between those two at this point in time. But you have to imagine, J.C., you're bang on, that Clarice is not going to re-sign in Winnipeg, let alone for one year. And Three is what it ended up being. If he doesn't believe or know or understand that O'Shea is going to be his head coach. Those two guys have so much respect for each other. O'Shea was in Toronto when Calaris came into the league with the Argonauts. And part of the reason that O'Shea wanted him with Winnipeg was because he believed that Calaris was a leader and was going to approach his preparation and the way that he guided that team as a true pro. And that's exactly how O'Shea treats his role with the Bombers as well. So I think Calaris re-signing could be an indication that O'Shea stays. That said, his contract does expire after the season, and that could be a potential spot where O'Shea seeks out some of his other options or at least looks at them. But it just seems hard to believe that O'Shea would leave this team with a franchise quarterback locked in, coming off two great cups and potentially adding a third this year.
1: Well, and we also need to remember as well, Mike O'Shea's contract did expire following the 2016 season and the 2019 season. Now, I can only think of one reason you would want to do that, which is to potentially leave. But there is historical precedent for this particular coach uh, doing this right over the course of their career. Bo- both extensions came following the previous deal had expired. Let's head east, boys. The Hamilton Tiger Cats are suddenly the favorites to earn the third and final playoff spot in the East Division after back-to-back wins over Saskatchewan and Calgary. Should the Tiger Cats be viewed as a legitimate threat heading into the postseason?
2: You know, I've seesawed back and forth on this particular issue, and I reserve the right to continue to do so for the remainder of the season because the Hamilton Tiger Cats are just not consistent enough to maintain one opinion on them. But after that win against Calgary, you have a hard time not seeing them as a viable threat because of the way at the end of that game, with all the odds stacked against them, like they almost gave that game away with that third down gamble down in their own end, which Orlando Steinhauer doesn't want to say is a gamble, but was definitely a gamble and an awful play call. But when all seemed lost, Jay Evans, out of nowhere, comes together, puts that drive on. Tim White makes two insane plays, and they score the game-winning touchdown. To me, that spoke volumes about that team. That's a win that they wouldn't have had earlier in the season. Clearly, some things are turning around for them. The mental toughness to be able to do that at the end of the game considering the momentum swing that had happened just before, I find incredibly impressive. So I am on the Hamilton Tiger Cats bandwagon for right now because of
0: that game. Let's get straight here. That was Tim White's drive a little bit with Dane Evans who had to pull the trigger. Okay, he made (laughs) those two great catches to get them the win. Let's not go crazy, given Evans' credit. I know we've been hard on him this season. He was just okay in that game, but it was White making two spectacular plays the one in what some people were calling triple coverage but there was a bunch of Peters around when he made that catch before he went in and scored the touchdown like that was white's drive this dude has the makings of dare i say a superstar and a guy that they were really high on part of the reason why they were comfortable with what do they term it mutually parting ways with brandon banks who's now with the toronto Argonauts, and you can see exactly why on that drive in this season, White has been their go-to guy and is really developing into a legitimate number one threat for the Ticats at receiver. Orlando Steinauer knows how to get his group playoff ready. We got to remember last year, they won games with David Watford at quarterback to help get them in the playoffs. So this coaching staff, and especially on offense with Tommy Condell, the offensive coordinator and Kari Jones is there now too. They know how to win Different ways, especially at this time of year. And that's going to be critical if they're going to make a run in the East and get to the Grey Cup again, potentially face the Blue Bombers if they can get back there for a third showdown in the CFL title game. It does look like the Ticats have this team of destiny feel about them. They hadn't won at McMahon Stadium since 2004. So to be able to go in there and do that against a Stampeders team that was still battling for playoff positioning and potential home field date in the West semifinal against the BC Lions shows the Ticats can go out there and compete with anybody, including Winnipeg, who Dane Evans diced up at home. Now that game still stands out as an anomaly, but it does seem like the Ticats are trending in a direction that could see them make a run in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, this is a team that I think a lot of people were willing to consider dead and buried, right? At three and nine, it looked like Orlando Steinauer was completely out of answers. Um, I think he said as much at one point. Um, just just didn't, didn't understand, didn't, didn't, have any, didn't have any answers for why his team was struggling to win. Then they came back and they throttled the Blue Bombers, which has happened a grand total of one time, I think, in the last three years <laughs> that they've lost the game by a, a really significant margin, completely outclassed and outplayed at Tim Hortons Field. And I mean, the win, I mean, the win over Saskatchewan was impressive because that was a must win game for them. It really was. But to go into McMahon Stadium and did what they did. I mean, I agree that the call uh, it was questionable to gamble the game. The play call from Tommy Condell was indefensible. I think the worst play call I've seen this season. Um, but they rallied, right? They rallied. They got it done. And as much as I do not want to see another Winnipeg Hamilton Grey Cup because I'm bored of it, and I think a lot of people are bored of it, at least looking through a quick scroll on social media. I agree with Justin here. I do think that this team is starting to have a bit of a sense of destiny around them. And let's also remember the two teams ahead of them in the East Division standings right now, Montreal and Toronto are not world beaters, right? Those are teams, they're they're certainly good teams, they're not bad teams, but those are teams that you could absolutely see the Hamilton Tiger Cats potentially going through in the postseason. And by the way, all the Ticats have to do to clinch that third spot right now is win, in my opinion, one of their two games against the Ottawa Red Blacks. Because I do not see that the Riders sweeping Calgary over the next two weeks. So if, if you can win one game as, as the Ticats, which I think you will, you're playing Ottawa, you're going to the postseason. Once you're in the dance, anything can happen. So credit to them. This looks like a season that has been literally pulled from the brink.
2: I think you hit on the key point there, Hodge, which is, is there anyone in the league that is actually convinced by either the Toronto Argonauts or the Montreal Alouettes that those two teams are serious contenders? And right now, I'm not fully convinced by either. I think in a one-off battle, the Hamilton Tiger Cats can match them. I think they can beat them. And right now, it's going to be, you know, Pick your poison out of the East Division. I can't make sense of it. I think anybody could beat anyone on any given game day, and that's going to make for an exciting East Division playoff race despite the fact that the teams may not be the heavy hitters that are out West.
1: Do we remember what happened when Toronto went to McMahon Stadium a few weeks ago? Same, Same stadium, same team. That was the worst game. I think that's the worst performance we've seen from a team this season. So
0: Well, other than the Argos getting beat 44-3 by the Lions. Or even later, but-
1: <laughs> That's true. That's true.
0: <laughs> if I'm a Ticats player, I'm looking at the Argos or the Owls and saying, can we beat Toronto? Bleep, yes. Can we beat Montreal? Bleep, yes. We can go to the Great Cup. We've done this before, especially a bunch of the guys on defense. Simone Lawrence is back and fresh on that defensive unit. And those dudes know how to get it done. In the postseason. Sometimes you gotta win ugly. And the Ticats especially did that against the Rough Riders. That game was just yeah, reeked of ugliness. And then they go in and win a shootout in Calgary. So they're winning in different ways, but the critical aspect of it is they're getting it done in clutch situations. And that's what you need to do in the playoffs. Dane Evans did it in the East Final a year ago, and he went 18 for 18 the second half, led an improbable comeback. So he's been there before too. We need to give him his credit where it's due. If I'm the coaching staff, I'm going, bleep, yes, we can beat Toronto. Bleep, yes, we can beat Montreal too. So let's go bleep and do this. I think the Ticats right now, and maybe it's a little bit of recency bias, are the favorites to come out of the East. Ooh,
1: that's a hot take.
0: Spicy, 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 Justin Duck.
2: Well, <laughs> flipping to their chief competition for that final playoff spot, the Saskatchewan Rough Raggers. Quarterback Cody Fajardo dressed for practice on Tuesday but did not participate with Mason Fine taking all the reps with the first-team offense. Now, head coach Craig Dickinson indicated that Fajardo remains the starter and sat out due to what he called a vet day. Do we believe Dickinson, especially with Saskatchewan, coming off a bye week?
0: I don't believe his entire statement, and there's a few reasons We're going to jump into, but the number one for me is that quarterback reps in this league are very limited in practice, all right? So the fact that he's coming off a bye week, Fajardo that is, and gets a vet day, to me just doesn't make any sense because those reps are limited as it is, and as a quarterback you don't necessarily need a vet day. I haven't played in the pros, but playing Canadian University football in this country, like if we're going to break it down, really you're doing some drops and slinging the ball and you're working on some of your game plan, but you don't need a vet day. And why do you need a vet day before the most important game of the regular season for the riders who, oh, by the way, are hosting the gray cup if you didn't know by now. So for those couple of reasons, and I'm sure you guys have a bunch of other smart ones as well. I just don't buy this. The fact that you get a vet day when quarterback reps are, are such a premium in this league. To me, it shows that either the Riders are preparing for Mason Fine to potentially go into the game against the Stampeders if they feel like Fajardo's not moving the offense or taking a look at Fine to potentially be the starter. There were some people I talked to around the league before the Riders took the field on Tuesday to start preparations to play Calgary that had heard that Fajardo was going to be benched. So until he comes running out of that tunnel or running off the sideline to start the game at Mosaic Stadium with the first-team offense, then I'm not going to believe it.
1: Man, how cold would it be if Craig Dickinson, whose brother Dave, just lost to the Thai Cats, which hasn't sunk the Riders' season, but it certainly, it certainly hampered their playoff odds. Is this his way of getting revenge? He's lying about who's going to start a quarterback <laughs> ahead of their game this weekend. If so, that would be... Wild. I'm not. I'm not calling Craig Dickinson a liar. I think he's being honest. I don't think he would have told the media yesterday that that Fajardo starting unless he would start. However, obviously. With the circumstances here, it's fishy. I would not at all be surprised if Fisciardo started but had a short leash because I've also spoken to people who made the same point about Mason Fine. If you're the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, you're you're, you're looking at where the wind's blowing. If the Tidecats sweep the Red Blacks, it doesn't matter what Saskatchewan does. They will be out of the playoffs, even if they manage to sweep the Calgary Stampeders. So if you're looking ahead to next year, and we don't know what the team's going to look like next year off the field. Of course, there could be coach changes. There could be a GM change. We don't know. Everybody could come back. It remains completely up in the air. However, I think you do need to know what you have in Mason. Fine. We just saw Drew Brown, for instance, start a game for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Yes, he threw two ugly pick sixes. But other than that, He looked pretty darn good, if you ask me. Mason Fine is yet to start a CFL game. He's played quite a bit in a couple of games. But if the Riders think they could build around Mason Fine and almost emulate the Nathan Rourke setup that the the, the BC Lions have at the moment where they're paying their quarterback nothing and they're able to spend a bunch of money building a great defense, giving quarterback weapons, maybe that's what they're trying to figure out. Because to me, that's what makes the most sense. A vet day coming off a bye week? I'm sorry, that just doesn't happen.
2: There's something to be said, I believe, for the mental chess match that you referenced there, Hodge, because our good friend uh, Murray McCormick of the Regina Leaker Post asked that very question to Craig Dickinson. He says, do you know the chaos that you caused when you sent Mason Fine out there with the first-team offense at practice? And Craig Dickinson, who I think in terms of dealing with the media is probably the best in the league, just sort of smiled and said, yeah, I knew exactly what I was doing with that move. So there may be a little bit more to that as well, a little bit of a chess match. However, you simply cannot, in front of a a game that is do or die for you, not have your starting quarterback taking the first team reps in practice. That is mind-boggling to me. And I don't want to question Cody Fajardo's toughness, because I believe he showed us early in the season – for whatever else he might be as a quarterback, he's certainly tough battling through that injury at times when it was probably smarter for the Saskatchewan refraggers to sit him. He fought through it. But here in this do or die week, after a bye week, a full week of rest, to have to take a vet day, if that was anything to do with Vajarga, I, I don't care who made that decision. It seems ludicrous to me, especially when you've got other teams that are battling for playoff positioning or or hoping to get guys ready for, for must-win games in the playoffs, like the BC Lions, who we'll talk about in the bit. And their are uh, starting quarterback who's injured and is on one foot out there practicing right now before a game that's nowhere near as important as the one that Cody Fajardo has this weekend as quarterback of the Saskatchewan Rough It doesn't make sense to me unless there is that move to Mason Fine here in the very near f- future. And to me, that makes absolutely no sense this week. Makes sense next week if you're already eliminated that you put Mason Fine out there. It makes sense if you did it six weeks ago when you're struggling and you think you need a spark to salvage the season and you move to Mason Fine. With these two weeks left and you need to win out, right? You need to put the best quarterback on the field possible. If that's Mason Fine, and you haven't determined that already, that is criminal negligence from you and your coaching staff, right? That he hasn't been on the field. So you've already made the determination in my mind that he is not the guy who gives you the best chance to win. That's Cody Fajardo. Well, you need the guy who gives you the best chance to win this week taking all your reps in practice.
0: Let's think about this for a second. When Fajardo's knee was at his worst, did he take a vet day? That's obviously a rhetorical question because the answer is no. So that is why there is so much speculation and wondering going on about this decision. Fajardo's knee has to be at least in somewhat better shape, at least from a pain management standpoint now, than it was when he first suffered the injury or when he had that setback. Remember, he was thinking he was going to take the brace off earlier in the season, like before midseason. So it would have made sense then to give him a vet day, but he didn't take one. To his credit, as you said, J.C., He is a tough competitor, and he's played through what we can only imagine is a lot of pain on that knee and dealing with taking shots on that knee, but never once, up until this day.
1: Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check.
0: At practice, it's just so suspect to me. And if you're any team, I don't care if it's pro sports, amateur, you're just playing in the backyard and you're playing to win, then why is your quarterback not taking those reps? You can't be looking at the Tiger Cats facing the Red Blacks and thinking, oh, well, they're probably going to beat Ottawa twice and make the playoffs anyway, so we should get a look at Mason Fine. These reps are at a premium. Honestly, the decision makes no sense to me. Even if just for the simple fact of the chaos that you're going to create in Rider Nation. Like, what are we actually talking about here? And I understand Dickinson is great with the media, but it's smart for him to know what he's getting into. But to be comfortable with that in this situation is just dumbfounding to me. All right, boys, need a little breath after that. In a move reported exclusively by 380Nation.com, Vernon Adams Jr. restructured his contract prior to being traded from Montreal to BC. What does that mean for Adams Jr. and the Lions in 2023?
1: Well, I I think this potentially gives us an interesting look at the future and what the future could hold in Vancouver. There are rumors swirling that the BC Lions could potentially, uh, you know, Resign uh, resign Nathan Rourke to a contract extension. He is under contract currently for 2023, albeit on his rookie deal. That does not pay him nearly what he is worth, of course, as the shining star of this league right now. Um, however, if Mr. Work were to leave for the NFL next year, which he could do even if he signs back in BC, obviously they need a quarterback. And Vernon Adams Jr. has been very serviceable in that role. Out West, right? He's led them to, I believe it's now a 3-2 and record as a starter. He's yet to throw a pick with the BC Lions, which is impressive, as much as he's also not necessarily put up a ton of yardage. Uh, His new contract for 2023 has only $151,000 worth of hard money, meaning that even if they extend Nathan Rourke, they could probably float this money and keep Vernon Adams Jr. as who would probably be the best backup quarterback in the CFL right now aside, of course, from maybe Bolivar Mitchell, who will likely not be a backup come 2023. However, he is able to get another $200,000 in playtime. And so this is a win-win for Vernon Adams Jr. and the BC Lions in that he's got a home. It's close to where he played his college football in in Oregon, or at least where he finished his college career in Oregon. And it also gives the BC Lions that security of having a starting quarterback in the event that Nathan Work. Does leave for the NFL.
2: Boy, oh boy, that's the nicest way I've ever heard someone describe Vernon Adams Jr.'s play as a BC Lion. <laughs> Perfectly serviceable. I, I don't know been... if I would. I don't know if I would agree with that assessment. I mean, <laughs> there's been games where there's been flashes of brilliance. At first half against Ottawa, where he's hitting all those deep bombs, I thought he looked fantastic. There are other been other games where he's looked absolutely putrid. I don't know if you watch the game this week and you see a guy that can run a functional offense consistently. He certainly didn't this week. Right. And it's been a trend. You know, he'll have one game where he's hot one game where he's not. We know that's what Vernon Adams jr. Has been his entire career. I'm not sure I want that for a full year. If that's my starting quarterback with that said, the money involved in this deal you can very easily keep him around as a backup, and to me, that's the only reason you keep Vernon Adams Jr. around because he hasn't shown anything to me that would say he can be a long-term starter if Nathan Rourke is able to leave for the NFL. If he doesn't, can he back up Nathan Rourke? Absolutely. I think that's a nice, nice little pairing there someone you can fall back on in case of emergency. If Neat leaves and you can find somebody else to be a quarterback or you have a prospect that you really want to, to take a shot and you need someone veteran behind him, sure, Vernon Adams Jr. can do that. But if you are in the situation where you're starting to have to pl- pay out those big play, pay, sorry, playtime bonuses to Vernon Adams Jr., the money that he's going to get, which is considerable, Four starting games or playing 50% of the snaps, if you're starting to pay that out, Vernon Adams Jr. is not worth that. Let's be clear on that right now. And we don't really like each other, but I think his play on this on the field speaks far more than whatever I can say, because I have not seen a guy that you want to have running your franchise long-term since he's been in Vancouver.
0: I don't think you don't, You dislike Vernon Adams Jr., Mr. Abbott. I think what Mr. Adams Jr. doesn't like is honest and expert analysis, all right? And I can understand if he's a little upset that he had to take a major pay cut. He was previously going to earn over $400,000 this year. Then the deal was restructured, and he was taken down – quite some levels and hit in the pocketbook so maybe that's part of the reason he gets a little upset when you pick apart and tell it how it is about his game on the field I would definitely agree with JC in this regard if Nathan Rourke signs an NFL contract and is down stateside then I think the BC Lions need to look at some other options that could potentially be available on the open market to be quite honest I'd probably be more comfortable with Matthew Schiltz as my starting quarterback going into 2023 if Rourke is in the NFL. Do you have to take a run or at least a look at Bolivie Mitchell, who seems to be, regardless of the regime, destined to end up in Saskatchewan, but you probably at least have to see what the possibility is there. We just talked about him. Depending on what shakes out the rest of the season in Regina, do you think about going and getting Cody Fajardo? He would probably be more consistent, than Vernon Adams Jr., and could he be better in that scheme that Jordan Maximic has dialed up for Nathan Work and has tried to find ways to make Vernon Adams Jr. comfortable with his erratic play. So it is a solid deal for the Lions, who know that they could have a backup at minimum if Work goes to the NFL. Could be your starter, I guess, in a pinch. Hodge is all right with that. JC is not but at least give you some flexibility at the quarterback position.
1: I mean, I think that Cody Fajardo and Vernon Adams Jr. would be a fantastic quarterback tandem because for all intents and purposes, they are the exact same player, right? They are They are unbelievably similar. They are, not, neither is an elite runner, but they're both elusive. They're both somewhat consistent, right? They They're going to provide you with serviceable play. Um, And if you look at the numbers, that bears it out. They even had their breakout year at the same time, right? 2019, they both hit it big after being backups for a number of years. And right now, they're both slowly fading into obscurity, unfortunately. Though Cody Fajardo remains in Regina, if his vet day is any indication, this is probably his last season in Regina.
2: I will say this. Cody Fajardo, far more consistent than Vernon Adams Jr. in my mind, I think. While I've never been a believer in his high end, there is very rarely games where he is absolutely awful. I think the spectrum of play that you can expect from Vernon Adams Jr. is far wider. I think potentially even on the high end, he might have better high end games at times than Cody Fajardo can produce. But the low end is far more frequent with him as well.
1: Well, Vernon Adams Jr. does have a better career touchdown to interception ratio i will say that canadian quarterback nathan Rourke is trending towards being back on the field according to lions head coach rick campbell who said quote there's a very good chance he could be dressing and playing the next week close quote that of course being the regular season finale and winnipeg scheduled for october 28th what could Rourke's return mean for bc
2: it means they have a shot like a gray cup that's what it would mean Because Nathan Rourke, if he's even at 60% health, I think is a better quarterback than what they've got right now. And that's, as much as I've been harping on Vernon Adams Jr. during our last segment there, that says less about Vernon Adams Jr. and more about Nathan Rourke. Because he is that good. He is a generational quarterback. He is head and shoulders above any player in this league right now, including Zach Kalaros, who's going to steal an MOP away from him, for absolutely no reason. Okay? <laughs> Nathan Rourke is that guy. He is that guy. There is no question in my mind. So if he can come back, if he – and I I hope they are sensitive with that return. It's not going to happen this week. But potentially next week, I hope they don't just throw him out there and expect him to play the whole game. Give him a little bit of time. Let him get his feet wet. No pun intended. And see how he does because I am slightly concerned just for his long-term health that they are rushing him back a little too quick or he is rushing himself back a little too quick. But if he is actually ready to go, if he is as good a rehabber as he is a player, then this changes the balance of power in the CFL instantly like that. The Lions are going to get back. Ryan Burnham, they're going to get back. Lucky Whitehead, and they'll get back Nathan Rourke. All of a sudden, that offense that ripped apart everybody at the start of the CFL season is back, clicking on all cylinders. I wouldn't want to play him in the playoffs. I'll tell you that much.
0: JC, bro, I love Canadian quarterbacks, but I don't necessarily think Nathan Rourke is head and shoulders above Zach Kolaris, who is a two-time defending Grey Cup champion, and about to legitimately win his second straight MOP because he stayed healthy. And sorry, on the field.
2: Is, is Zach Caleros going to throw for six thousand yards this year? Fifty touchdowns? I'm sorry, I, no, I, I, I have not work unless not he going throws for three
1: thousand yards next year.
2: <laughs> That's what he was on pace for. That's what he was on pace for. That's all. Well, I'm saying. I'll tell you
1: what. Why don't you start a new award called the On Pace Award, and you can give it to the guy who's the best player as of July 15th. <laughs>
2: I only need half a season to make my assessment. The ballot was already <laughs> cast.
0: Part of what goes into that award is staying healthy for the majority of the season. And even though it was a fluke injury, and I love Rourke, J.C., you know how much I love my Canadian quarterbacks. Claras has been the most outstanding player in the CFL. And he's done this for multiple seasons and has two great cup victories. Rourke is certainly the star of the league. And has been a focal point in terms of people wanting information on this guy, reading about him on the site, listening to us on podcasts, and of course, watching his games as well. There's no doubt he is an outstanding talent. And that's why he's going to have multiple NFL offers, I do believe, in the offseason. But Kleros is the MOP in this regard. Rourke will not pass for 6,000 yards because he wasn't on the field. He won't throw for 50 touchdowns because he wasn't on the field. Could that happen in the future? Yes, there could be CFL MOPs in Rourke's future. But more to the point here, Rick Campbell, the head coach and co-general manager, said that Rourke could be on line to play in that final game of the regular season against Winnipeg. He's not going to play the whole game, but he's going to play meaningful reps, and they're going to see how he moves around and if he looks comfortable. Because I think what needs to happen here, is Campbell and the coaching staff need to be cognizant of protecting work from himself. We know that he's a fast healer from his time at Ohio university, coming back quickly on the field there with the Bobcats, but it's totally different playing in the pros and they need to see that he's comfortable and can do the things that he needs to do to avoid a subsequent injury. And also, If you're Rourke and his family and his agent and and anybody in his camp, let's call it, you need to make sure you raise the point with him that if you come back early and you have a setback or you suffer another injury because you're not at 100% and can't move around the way that you're used to, what is this going to cost you in the future in terms of that potential NFL shot? We have an idea that if the BC Lions could re-sign him, that that would be a major contract extension in terms of the dollars on that deal you could argue that it should be close to Calaris and JC would probably make the argument that he should be paid more if he believes he's head and shoulders above him but you got to weigh all of these factors in bringing him back does you want to win a great cup this year yes of course but sometimes you need to protect players from themselves as head coaches and coaches around him and also family and friends and the people who are on your side
1: the last thing we need is a Robert Griffin III situation where an unbelievably exciting young quarterback's career is ruined, frankly, from just trying to come back from a serious injury too soon. I could not be in more of agreement uh, for a guy who had the best se- first half of a CFL season in quite some time.
2: His first half of a CFL season is better than most quarterbacks full season. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. The BC Lions are not in the playoffs, if not for Nathan Rourke. And he only played half a year. That's all I'm saying. Despite the CFL producing its highest scoring week of the season, it was the lowest week or lowest rated week on television this year. Should week 19's TV viewership be concerning for the league?
0: Definitely. You got to look at what was on the line in these games and that it was so high scoring and entertaining and back and forth and a bunch of close football games and the lack of viewership I think can be attributed to the fact that these other major pro sports leagues are getting back going. The NHL is back. The NBA is now back although that wasn't last week and there are many more viewing options now instead of simply The CFL and, yes, the NFL had been back, but, you know, really for the summer and the fall, if we're talking in Canada on the days that the CFL is going to play, it's the Blue Jays and the CFL. But now that hockey's back in particular in our country, we know how many passionate people there are up here about that game that's played on the ice, that there's more competition. And it's definitely concerning because there were some meaningful football games. So in an ideal world for the CFL, they're going to be hoping that these ratings bounce back. In the following weeks, and especially in the playoffs and for the Grey Cup, and I guess it should be noted that people are more and more turning to streaming. But if those streaming numbers were big, we would be hearing about them either from the CFL or TSN. So I think it's concerning when you have a direct comparison to what the other major pro sports leagues are drawing on television.
1: Yeah, to me, the concern is we didn't see a bump after the Toronto Blue Jays made a very early exit from the postseason. We know that the Jays have been dominating the TV landscape for a long time, heading into the last few weeks of the CFL season. Well, the Jays got swept in the first round, baby. That is music to the ears of the CFL and its its broadcast partner, TSN. I'm sure they were very concerned behind closed doors about what happens to our ratings if the Blue Jays make a run to the world series heaven forbid they're still playing baseball right in in mid late november full disclosure i don't actually know when the world series takes place but you really get you get my point there you <laughs> go you get my point uh that's obviously not occurring now we're at a position where the cfl should be front and center now unfortunately it does also tie into when the nhl season gets underway when the nba season is getting underway But I I was hoping at least for one week you'd see a bump of sorts. The fact that it did not bump and actually decreased, I think, should be a concern. Though I will say there is one key team that did not play this past week with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders being on a bye. And if you're going to have a day or or, or a week where the ratings are probably going to be deflated, it is when the Riders don't play. So I'm curious to see how things will look this upcoming week, especially with the Riders having a, a must win game at Mosaic Stadium against a hated rival.
2: There's been many weeks this CFL season in which the Riders have almost single-handedly inflated the league's TV ratings. Um, So them not playing was a big factor. I think the other thing that's worth discussing here, as exciting as those games were, as as good as they were, as high-scoring, that's not what we anticipated going in. Right. I don't think there was a lot of people looking at these matchups last week and going, well, this is going to produce some exciting football games. There was a lot of meaningless contests involved there. You know, a lot of things have already been determined for the playoffs. Right. There's still some stuff to be decided, but there were several games this week that meant absolutely nothing to one or or both teams involved. You look at the Edmonton Toronto game that happened. That was literally meaningless for both teams it did not affect Toronto's standing in terms of whether they could get a home playoff game and the Elks were already eliminated eliminated the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were starting a bunch of backups against BC that's not exactly a huge selling feature when it comes to getting people to tune in for the games now to the CFL's credit I thought this was one of the most entertaining weeks of football we've had all year it was exceptional from start to finish. Every game was within a touchdown. Many of them came down to the final drive. But if you're not marketing it beforehand as much watch TV and people realize that it's not particularly exciting matchups, then it doesn't matter what's happening by the third quarter. Not enough people are going to be tuning in based on that interest to pump up your TV numbers. And I think it's worth mentioning that there are people out there that think TSN is not doing a good enough job before these games, marketing them and getting them out there so people are tuning into these matchups and we're getting the viewership numbers right from the start.
1: Or, heaven forbid, of course, putting one of these games
2: on national television. Heaven oh, forbid. Yeah. What an idea, Hodge.
1: It's now time for Hodge's Heritage Moment. On this day in 2018, defensive back Gary Peters lined up opposite Duke Williams in a game between the Evanston football team and BC Lions. Peters gestured to Williams before the snap, taunting the receiver as he entered his waggle. Williams hit the line of scrimmage with a full head of steam and trucked Peters, causing the defensive back to fly backwards and land on his butt. Video of the incident subsequently went viral and has been viewed over 20 million times, boys. I got to say, I was scrolling through TikTok a couple weeks ago, and for no reason in particular, this particular clip popped up from I don't even think it was an account that's affiliated with the CFL or a media team covered the CFL. Th- this video is unbelievable. I'd love to hear your takes on it.
2: Well, I just thought it was extremely out of character for Duke Williams. You know, normally what he would do is unstrap his helmet and hockey. <laughs> <huck in. laughs>
0: <laughs> Ouch. <sighs> TikTok just knows, man. That's the scary part, Hodge. They knew this was coming up on Hodge's Heritage Moments, and they just wanted to give you a little reminder.
1: There you go. The algorithm rules us all. All right, <laughs> three-minute drill. Here we go.
0: Montreal Alouettes Canadian offensive lineman Sean Jameson has suffered a torn ACL. Will that hurt the Owls' chances of a playoff run?
1: It will, and it's especially devastating because Jamison, like all great football players, was born in Winnipeg. The BC Lions brought back their gunmetal uniforms this past week, and they will be auctioned off for charity should the Leos bring them back full time in the future.
2: I don't know about full time, but they definitely need to be a part of the rotation. These uniforms are beloved. They're the clingest look in the league. Absolutely fantastic. The fan base goes wild. You want to put butts in BC Place? Start wearing the gunmetal. Toronto's Week 18 game against the Lions garnered over 300,000 viewers despite competing head-to-head with a Blue Jays playoff game. Is that a positive for the league?
0: It definitely is. There were some people who thought that game was going to average less than 300,000 on TV and perhaps get closer to the 200,000. So a win for the Argos. Bombers QB Drew Brown threw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns in his first career CFL start, but also... Through two pick sixes in a 40-32 loss to BC. Do you think Brown has a future in the league?
1: I listened to his post-game avail on CJOB, and he seemed absolutely devastated by his two pick sixes. And while I appreciate the self-scrutiny, I thought Brown didn't give himself enough credit. I thought for most of that game, he did not look like a, a young quarterback making his first start. I absolutely think he has a future in this league. LaValle,
2: Berger, Agum, Jr.,
1: He was better than Vernon Adams Jr., though the two pick-sixes did obviously loom large. Laval head coach Glenn Constantine won his 197th career game with a win over Montreal this past Sunday, setting a new all-time record for most wins among U sports head coaches. Is Constantine the best head coach in Canadian University football history?
2: I think he is, and I want to illustrate this with two numbers. 33-21. Brian Taurus who's the former head coach, of the university of Saskatchewan Huskies held the previous coaching wins record at 196. He did that in 33 seasons at the helm for the Huskies. Glenn Constantine, 21 years as the head coach of the Laval Rouge or he's now beat that record. Everyone will talk about the money at Laval and, and East being it, easy, it being easier in the East than it is in the West. And some of that is valid points but you cannot question the way that Glenn Constantine has contributed to the success at Laval and rebuilt football, not just there, but in the province of Quebec, where it's been a traditional Anglophone sport. He's made it a Francophone powerhouse that can compete with anyone on the national stage year in, year out. That's an incredible feat. All-star linebacker Simone Lawrence made his long-awaited return to the Ticats lineup this past week and recorded seven tackles. Can he help get Hamilton into the playoffs?
0: Of course, Simi Hove can help the Ticats hum into the postseason. Lawrence has been there multiple times before, knows how to get his Ticats in there. D-lineman Steven Richardson suffered a setback in his recovery from an Achilles injury and will not suit up for BC this year. Is that a big loss?
1: It is a big loss. Richardson, as an interior defensive lineman, not necessarily a household name yet in this league, but was unbelievably impactful for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on their Great Cup run in 2021. Ottawa native Akeem Mesidor was named the NCAA's Walter Camp National Defensive Player of the Week after recording three and a half sacks against Virginia Tech. Will we ever see the University of Miami product in the CFL?
2: I don't think we will. He doesn't necessarily have the sack numbers across the board this year, but Akeem Mesidor has done a fantastic job since transferring from the University of West Virginia to Miami in the SEC. I don't know if he still got the title, but at one point he was PFF's highest-graded edge defender in all of college football, and that was before this performance. So he is a stud, not necessarily getting more reps than some other guys but in whatever time he's on the field he is making a huge impact and will be an NFL guy Canadian defensive back Tavon Campbell joined the Las Vegas Raiders practice roster on Monday is that a good move for him
0: it definitely is because it means he has a job and another opportunity to crack an active roster he's with the Chargers for a while that has come to an end so let's keep an eye and see what Campbell can do in Vegas Former CFL MOP Chad Owens is set to appear in an upcoming action movie called Paradise City, which features Bruce Willis and John Travolta. Did you ever think you'd see Owens on the big screen?
1: I didn't. And, Dunk, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you name one movie that Bruce Willis or John Travolta has been in?
0: Oh, my gosh. Die Hard and Grease Lightning. Wow.
1: Well, it's just called Grease but I'll take it. Well done. I'm impressed. I didn't think you'd be able to get out of those. To be perfectly I w- honest, I
2: want Dunk to sing that now. Sing Grease <laughs> lightly. Let's go. I need the dance moves too.
1: We, we've had Dunk sing on the podcast before. It does not to listeners shit. I don't think I,
2: it. <laughs> I knew your perfectly coiffed hair came from somewhere. Clearly, it's that movie.
1: John Travolta's hair is is awesome in that movie. Former CFL linebacker Alex Singleton made 20 total tackles, 20 total tackles and 19 solo tackles in Denver's 1916 overtime loss to the L.A. Chargers on Monday Night Football, falling just shy, literally one tackle shy of the all-time NFL single game record. How impressive is that?
2: That is wildly impressive. It's all over the field. Alex Singleton is a beast. Everyone who's ever watched the CFL knows that. I'm glad to see him finally starting to get more action in Denver. I'm sure he'll be in the starting lineup consistently going forward. The Edmonton Elks have now lost 16 straight home games, extending their all-time CFL record. Can the Elks end the streak against BC this week in their season finale, even with Taylor Cornelius out due to a spleen injury?
0: Ooh, I really like Trey Ford. But this team at home has not yet proven that they can hold a lead, especially in the second half and late in ball games. And whether Chris Jones wants to talk about this losing streak or not, I feel like it could go into twenty twenty three. Eight time East Division All Star S J Green is retiring as a member of the Montreal Alouettes. How will Green's career be remembered?
1: I mean, 10,000 receiving yards, 15th leading receiver all time. S.J. Green is going to be remembered as a Hall of Fame player. Make no question about that. I rewatched his catch from Canada Day 2010 today. I swear every time I watch that play, I think it's going to fall incomplete. That's a testament to how amazing that catch was. One final note, breaking news from Britton Gray of CJME. The quarterback taking first team reps today for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Mason Fine.
0: Whoa.
1: the plot thickens in Ryderville. we thank you as always for listening to the three down nation podcast we'll see you next time